Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, this is Emma, Senior Account Manager at the Webby Awards. The 24th Annual Webby Awards is open for entries. We have all new categories this year for your work in podcasts, social, immersive and mixed reality video, and much more. Check out all the categories and enter by the early entry deadline on Friday, October 25th to take advantage of the best pricing. Enter your work at webbyawards.com. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. How to win, teach others. Great ideas need brilliant execution. Tools are nothing without talent. Words move people. Let's dance. Hey there, and welcome back. One thing we do on the internet is write a lot. Emails, slacks, tweets, text messages, direct messages, and so much more. Often in lots and lots of windows and on lots and lots of devices. This proliferation has had a huge impact on how we write, but it also means that writing and good writing is more important than ever. Our next guest, Kieran Snyder, is the co-founder of Textio, a company that makes machine learning software that works in concert with the user to help augment our writing and make our words more impactful. One of their most popular products is for writing job listings. The software relies on hundreds of thousands of listings and, importantly, the results data like how many people applied and who applied to give the writer suggestions in real time to improve the postings and attract better and more diverse candidates. For all you word dorks out there, I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Kieran shares a ton of interesting insights on the way language and our world is being impacted by technology, and it's pretty promising, actually. We start off talking about something we can all relate to, wishing we had someone read the email before we push send. I think we've probably all had the experience of writing that sensitive email to somebody, knowing we probably shouldn't press send, and getting the trusted colleague to look over our shoulder and mm-hmm. give a second opinion. Textio is like 500 million second opinions. So the idea is that it's a word processor that as your writing is giving you insight into who is likely to respond, engage, and who you're likely to leave out. I mean, that sounds like that must have come from somewhere, right? Somebody doesn't just wake up one day and say like, oh, this would be a great thing to have. How did you get personally involved in that? Like, why do you care about that? Where did, mm-hmm. where did the inspiration for that come from? So my whole career has been at the intersection of language and software, actually going back a pretty long way. You're like a linguist. I'm a linguist, but before I was a linguist, I was a child. And when I was a child, my dad was an engineer, actually still is an engineer. So I've seen that my whole life. And my mother was a writer. So I grew up to be an engineer and a writer. And most of my software career has been in search or machine learning or productivity software in some way. Uh, My first tech job was inventing the framework that Microsoft used for non-English grammar checking. And my co-founder 
Our CTO, Jensen Harris, has a really different background. Uh, he created the first UI for email ever, which became Outlook. So Textio is really at the intersection of everything we've both done. If you could take all of this data and expose it in a writing experience that a billion people could use, that you don't need to be a data scientist to use. That was kind of the genesis of it. And, you know, the history of writing software has stuff that makes your document look pretty. You know, it has stuff that makes it possible for you to collaborate, but none of it is good at making the words actually work. Yeah, so that's I mean, what we set out to do. You brought up the email example. I always think about email as like a bit of like the renaissance of the written word to some extent. Like if you really think about it, before email, we were reading things, but most people weren't like big writers mm -hmm. anymore, you know, like you did that in school and stuff. And then maybe you wrote memos, but like the amount of writing that we did since email was sort of like the experience of seeing so many faux pas in email, like sort of a, the beginning of how you started thinking about needing to help people improve that. Or writing them. Yeah. <laughs> Not just seeing them. Yeah. There's actually a great book right now that I read pretty recently called Because Internet by a woman named Gretchen McCulloch, which huh. looks at the way writing on the internet has changed our language, which I highly recommend. But yeah, I think looking at email has made a big difference to the speed with which we expect to communicate. And digitization in general means that when we write, we reach a much larger audience or have the potential to reach a much larger audience than we did, you know, when my mother was writing on a typewriter, which is what I saw growing up. We had a computer in our house because of my dad, but my mom didn't use it until I was probably 12 or 13. It's a very different model of writing. One of the things people probably have heard of around Textio is helping people write better job descriptions. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. It's not mm -hmm. all that you guys are doing at Textio. But so tell me about sort of the different features and different products that you're using this technology to create. Yeah, at the level of the enterprise language platform, think about it as a component that takes any kind of text and outcomes. So information about who has actually responded or how many people responded. And it isolates the language patterns that have worked, you know, that have been effective. And the first commercial application is focused on hiring. So you mentioned job descriptions. How do I write them? So I get a qualified and diverse group of people to answer me, but also one-on-one -on -one outreach to a candidate. Of course, writing one-on-one -on -one is pretty different than writing to a broad audience. But actually, the first thing we built when we were teeny tiny before we had a commercial product was a Kickstarter predictor because all of the outcomes were right known. Right. And we discovered something kind of depressing as a longtime product person, which is the quality of your idea has no relationship to whether you successfully raise money on the Kickstarter platform. Oh. But, <laughs> but depressing. your font mix, right. highly predictive, right. or the number of verbs you have, or the captions on your videos, super predictive. We realized early on when we were just a few weeks old as a company that there was something here, that sometimes the language matters at least as much as what you're trying to communicate with the language. Right, which makes sense if it's a bad idea and it's super well Sadly, sold. Sadly, you'll raise money. <laughs> vice versa. If it's a great yes. idea and it's poorly sold, then I mean, yep. that doesn't sound surprising. So if somebody's using the product, how does that actually work? In audio land here, can you give us like a visualization of it? It's like as they're typing, they're getting suggestions that are coming in and telling them or sort of saying, write this instead. They have to highlight stuff or how does it, how does That's it get nitty gritty work? I mean, think of it like a word processor, except instead of having to type every word, you're dropping in your rough notes 
So I know I want to hire a software engineer. I know I want them to have a machine learning background, cloud skills, and eight years of experience. So I drop my rough notes onto my writing canvas, just like I would in Microsoft Word or Google Docs or anything like that. And Textio starts working with me as I'm writing to generate alternatives, ways that I might say what I have to say that uniquely express my brand and does so in a way that will reach the qualified people that I'm trying to reach. If I want to type something different, I can. Mm. It's just a word processor. And Textio might make some highlighted suggestions for me. I'm always getting a score, which is showing me how well my document is likely to perform relative to others you know, on the mm. market. I get information about the bias of the document, what kinds of candidates are likely to engage versus walk away. So all of that is happening in real time as I'm typing. And so... Tell me a bit about where the information is coming from. Yeah, all of this is only as good as the data set that backs it. So when I say Textio gives you 500 million second opinions, that's because in Textio today, there are 500 million or so documents that Textio has learned from. Okay. That means that the writing is there and the performance outcome is there. And we're refreshing that data at a rate of about 10 million new documents every month. And that data comes from our customers. Okay. Hey, how do you find out how it works? They have to go in and say, I got X amount of responses from this, from this type of people? or Yeah. So exactly. Just in using the platform, they are automatically sharing back information about the performance of what they've written. So let's say you're using Textio in the context of Outlook or Gmail for your email, which is very commonplace for people to use Textio. It's built sort of right in as a plugin to that experience, just by typing and pressing send, Textio is automatically learning from, did you get a response? Was it a positive response? And so on. So mm -hmm. by writing, you're also learning. Right. And what about in job postings? Because I mean, if you do that, then you post it somewhere. How do you find out, how does the data get captured around like who responded and all that kind of stuff? Companies capture job post performance data typically inside their applicant tracking system. So for every job they're listing, they're storing it in a big database that says, yep, the finance team has 20 jobs open right now, and here are the rec numbers that go with them, and here's the text that we published, and by the way, here's how many people applied, mm. and here's how many were good enough to get screened, and here's how many identified as men or women or non-binary. Here's how many didn't identify at all. And so all of that data, Textio takes from the applicant tracking system and uses to model and give different suggestions the next time you're writing. Say a specific company is using Textio, does their data feed back into the algorithm more so than sort of like wider corporate data? Like, yes. Yeah. So the data models are built both based on individual companies, if they're large enough, and aggregated and anonymized to a larger data set. Hmm. So I'll give an example. Uh, one of our long-term partners is Expedia, who okay. maybe you've heard of, sure. you might use them to book travel. A lot of their hiring happens in the Pacific Northwest, which means they're competing for talent with Microsoft, with Amazon, with sort of those, those big employers in that region. There are some patterns of language that work specifically for the Pacific Northwest that may work for those companies that don't work in New York. Mm. There are some that probably work 
for engineers that may not work for accountants, right? But there are some that work for Expedia that may not work for Microsoft and Amazon. So for example, for Expedia and only for Expedia, if you talk about Airbnb compete in your job posts, the jobs fill much more quickly than average. And if you talk- Because it's cool to compete against Airbnb? Well, exactly, right? Uh, It's it's seen as as modern. Whereas if you talk about travel agencies, Uh, the jobs fill more slowly. And of course, these words don't matter at all. Even in travel-related jobs in Microsoft Bing, they don't matter. Because the kind of person that is drawn to work at Expedia probably is passionate about travel. So sometimes companies have patterns that work uniquely well for their brand and sometimes they're participating in the broader ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, because when you when you were talking about writing the descriptions or or just sending emails, you mentioned like sort of helping you come up with a voice or choosing words and things that were part of your brand or who you mm-hmm. are. So I mean, I started to think of well, how do you know who I am? So if you take it to a down to this email level that you were talking about earlier, now there's also some sort of feedback loop within my own personal. Mm-hmm my own personal textio thing, right? So it starts to learn what I'm saying and also learn how that fits in with what the company I'm at is and also in New York or in the Northwest, if that's where I lived, right? So it's really on many levels, it's trying to... It's on many levels. And in each case, the more writing that's happening, the better the data is and the better it works for you. And it's it's really interesting when you start to see company patterns. So I'll give an example. Um, On their public career site, Amazon uses the phrase maniacal 11 times more often than the rest of the software industry. Right. And Uber uses the phrase whatever it takes 30 times more often. Right. And that is neither intentional nor is it an accident. Right. They don't have some employment brand person running around Uber saying, make sure you include our value, whatever it takes. But the fact that people collectively arrive at this language reveals something pretty deep about the culture. And and by the way, in both of those cases, it has impact that they may not be aware of. In both of those cases, they're far more likely to draw candidates who identify as men and likely to select out candidates who identify as women for the role, which is almost certainly not their intention when they put pen to paper. Right. Um, I saw that, and you you had a uh, post about this, I think, a couple of years back, which I'd read, and I, I thought it was so interesting. You brought up those two, and then also then there was Slack, and uh-huh. the words were like um, care deeply and meaningful. There you go. And it like was – And look at how their how, business is going. <laughs> I know, but that is like how, you know, if you know people who work at Slack or you know that company or culture you use it, that kind of does make sense. Like that's the – believable value for their absolutely because the way people talk communicates what they care about and then the way you put words out into the world changes who sees themselves as part of your organization yeah and what's true in recruiting is equally true in all aspects of corporate communication right as a platform as a sort of an enterprise language platform textio aspires to support you everywhere you're writing at work whether you're writing Uh, something that communicates with candidates or with customers, whether you're writing externally or you're writing internally, you're writing email or you're writing performance feedback. All of these are places where the words you choose changes the way people perceive you, changes your reputation. So why why is 
um, what comes out of Textio better than like when you read anybody out there listening or us, when I go read like some article on like a finance site or a sports site and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I am reading an article that was written by AI having looked at like a box score, you know, that like exists. Yeah. Right? Like they'll write like baseball articles and it's really just like a summary of whatever. And it you it's read awkward. it at the beginning, it seems fine. And then if you like read along enough, third or fourth paragraph, they're just inevitably some sort of weird turn of phrase that just doesn't make any, I mean, it makes sense, but it's just super awkward. I think that is the difference between augmented writing and automated writing. Mm -hmm. We know we have a strong belief that the writer is at the center and Textio's job is to equip that writer with information that could cause them to make different choices. So, hey, the way you sound right now, here's who's likely to engage with you. Or the way you sound right now, you're 50% less likely to get a response. And then you as the writer are in charge of what you want to do with that information. But we really have a strong belief that writing is fundamentally a human task and that you're the center of anything that you're communicating. Textio just kind of collects you with a whole bunch of your peers and taps into the collective intelligence of people who are writing things not dissimilar from what you've been writing. Do you find that it's a different skill, the person who's like a great writer on their own versus the person who ends up being a great augmented writer? I don't know if there's a difference. I can tell you that Textio learns from our best writers. Hmm. So language changes over time. It doesn't stand still. A simple example, when I was earlier in my technology career, go back 10 years, eight to 10 years, uh, people talking about big data was really hot. You could talk about big data in tech, in finance. Uh, you'd put it in a job post and it made it really popular. You got lots and lots of applications. Um, well, what happens with a phrase like that is it becomes so popular that it loses its differentiating impact. Right. And then it becomes so popular that it's where it is today, which is kind of a silly cliche. It's like and a Silicon it, Valley joke. I mean, it's like totally to, a it's Silicon like Valley in the television show, Silicon Valley. That's joke. exactly like, right. Yeah. And it and it has a negative impact. And it, by the way, AI is going through the same curve right now. We can see it beginning to decline. Well, software has a way of knowing that once that pattern has occurred often enough. But the best writers are probably people who are changing the pattern. And so one important opportunity that Textio has that I don't think other writing software has had in the past is to listen for the patterns that are showing up in our best writer's writing, even before Textio knows that they're significant. So about a year ago, the best performing job posts lost about 100 words in their word count. The highest performing job posts went from about 650 words to about 550 words. And I don't know if that was conscious, but Textio saw that happening before it was broadly represented in the data set because mm. our high scoring writers were starting to shorten their job posts, not because Textio was guiding them to do so. They were just doing it. And so that gives Textio sort of an early alert. Hey, something's on the move here. And so I think the best writers always find a way to stand out. And software like Textio has to learn from what they're doing. They are the intelligence that makes the whole system work for everybody. Right. And then you're, when you say best writers, it's like the, the other end of the feedback loop, right? You're really just talking about the people who wrote stuff that ends up performing the best in yeah. what you're measuring. Essentially, That's a right? great insight. 
Best is not a qualitative thing. Right. You're not, it's not like you guys all gone out and just read them, read them and said, these are the best people. It's no, just it's a, not like a strunk and white yeah, thing. Yeah. It's more like who actually got results. And right. that's, you know, at, at the end of the day for businesses, that's primarily what they're concerned with. So this is a question that I don't really understand, but I, <laughs> I, I sort of understand why I'm interested in it, but I have no idea what you're going to tell me it. and where it's going. It seems to me there's something really interesting about when you were basing the algorithm based on like a corpus of human written data, mm -hmm. non-augmented data would be the right say, way of saying it, maybe non-augmented sure. writing. Sort of but, naturally occurring data. Sure. And yeah. now, now though, you're augmenting the writing. You're helping all these people write better. You're getting different results. That Now that data is going in there and it's mm -hmm. learning from that. Is there some, Is there anything interesting or different that changes? Like, is that like to use like a really bad buzzword, is that like some sort of Rubicon or some sort of big <laughs> thing where now, you know, where now you, the, the AI is actually learning from its own work to some extent? Is yeah, it a different thing? I think like that's a place we tread with a lot of caution because once you have enough usage and, you know, we're talking here like half a billion documents that Textio has seen, you have the ability, if you're not careful, to mess with the way people are writing in a non-intentional way. So one of the things that Textio, uh, we see like big opportunity to do is if you're a great writer and I see that you are using new vocabulary or you are changing some structural component of your writing as the platform, I can intentionally start suggesting that to other writers to measure whether this is real or this is just a blip. Is this something that's really going to be, you know, across the board, a metric mover? Or is this something that like, no, that's just that one person's style and, it, and it's not significant. And when we have these conversations about platform design internally, we're pretty careful not to overstep the mark there because it would be, uh, I think, problematic if you change the way people are communicating uh, in a way that isn't really outcome-based but you push the outcomes in a certain direction because you push the sort of ubiquity of a, a language pattern. And what do you mean? So you push them to be out. Can you explain what the outcome-based part of that means? Sure. So uh, we'll use a job post as an example. When I write a job post, I have really one intention at the end of the day, which is to fill my job as fast as possible with a qualified person. And if I'm a progressive organization, maybe I also care about getting somebody who's different from the people I already had. But the bottom line goal is really simple. If Textio decided that uh, no longer will they ever allow you to write jobs that are above 600 words, right. then that part of the spectrum, the writing spectrum, would no longer get exercised. Mm, so right? you would never know if that changed. You so would never know if that changed. Yeah. So you got to be really careful. Again, it goes back to augmented versus automated. Right. We never want to automate everything because when you automate everything, everybody ends up sounding exactly the same and there's no opportunity for differentiation anymore. And guess what? The software also doesn't work anymore. Right. So you need enough variation, and the variation comes from the intelligence of the people. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Doing the writing. How do you sort of provide that feedback without then having everybody end up doing it? It sort of reminds me about like in in media where like everybody's A-B testing everything, right? And sometimes you'll be talking to somebody and they'll say like, oh, we A-B tested that and like square buttons are better. And then like everybody's talking about square buttons are better. But it really just means that square buttons were better for whatever they A-B tested and not for everything. But there is a rush to want to like hold on to these ideas that machines found that feel like a silver bullet. How do you share that information that it seems like shorter job postings are doing better without sort of ending up having everybody only write shorter job postings and never find, you know, sort of what you described? Yeah, I think you got to remember that context is very important. So if it were as simple as teaching people 20 rules, right, right. or even 50, you might not need software at all. You'd have your little post-it note next to you when you were writing and you're good to go. But a post-it note with 10 million items is pretty hard to follow. So we'll use the length example that you mentioned. Maybe all else being equal, shorter job posts for some industries perform better. But maybe it would actually be okay to be a little bit longer if the reason you were longer was you were adding a great equal opportunity statement. Right. Because that definitely inflates your word count, but it exerts other impact on the performance of the job. In fact, jobs that have an authentically written equal opportunity statement draw more candidates from every background and on average fill six days more quickly. Wow. Right? So it's not as simple as check a bunch of boxes and you're good because when you move one factor, you are unintentionally shaping a whole bunch of others. Mm. And, and different writers optimize for different trade-offs when they write. And I would assume that if you, I'm just guessing, if I did go into 800 words, but I added that statement, my score would probably do pretty well in real time. You're scoring sort of the thing because it would be incorporating that feedback into it, I it guess. Could. It, right, it could. It depends what else Depending. you've written. Right, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, that brings us to a great point that I want to talk about, um, which is just bias in general. And I know that one of the great things that Textio does around job postings or um, what did you refer them to? Job, job posts and recruiting job, mail. Yeah. yeah. Um, was helping people use language that didn't necessarily only attract males instead of females or different groups and mm -hmm. helping them have a job posting that was like interesting and attractive to lots of different types of people. Tell me about tell me about that a bit. Like how do you do that? It seems like you have to really be super measured on then where the data that you're getting is coming from and how good it is, because ultimately that's going to be the the determining factor there, right? That's right. So it's it's kind of data all the way down. Yeah. So the outcomes that Textio looks for when it helps you assess the bias in your writing are exactly 
candidate demographics that maybe candidates have provided on the way in the door. So if I apply to a job at Google, I have the opportunity of telling Google if I want to that I am a woman, that I am white, that I am in my 40s, that I am not a veteran, right? There's a set of things that I can identify about myself. And about two thirds of candidates generally provide some information. Okay, they don't have to, but they right. often do. And, and you figured out the group that doesn't to in order to control for that somehow at some point. Um, right? I'm not even sure that you need to because the groups that don't are pretty even-handedly distributed. Some okay. people are more comfortable providing that information, and, and some are less. And that might be an individual level, you know, comfort. Sure. Um, but Textio learns from that data. So if there are patterns that tend to draw more women to apply or more people with disabilities to apply. Then Textio learns from that and packages that back up into the guidance that you're providing. If you were only looking at your own data, you would almost certainly end up propagating the bias that you already had. So Amazon a couple years ago built something that got a lot of publicity where they built some automation technology to help make hiring decisions you know, taking some of the autonomy out of the recruiter and hiring manager's hand, but they let the machines make a bunch of decisions and they only use their own data to train. And so of course what happened right. is they repeated all the biases that had already existed in their organization. So the more data you have and the more different it is from just your own lived experience, the better you can do mitigating the bias, but you have to be pretty intentional in how you design it because the whole point of bias is that we don't see it. Yeah. Right. Have we, do you think that now that you said AI is like an uncool word, I feel super uncool using this <laughs> word, but do you feel like the, the technology around looking at data sets and, and being able to evaluate, you know, from a non-qualitative, but from like a quantitative mm -hmm. perspective, whether there's bias has gotten better? Like, are we able to flag that using technology more easily now today than in the past? I think there's ripe opportunity to create that. I think there's a lot of energy around, you say AI, I say learning loop technology. Okay. Um, and by the way, this technology has been around a while. So just for you know reference, it's been in your consumer products for a decade plus. Uh, I don't drive anywhere without using Waze or Google Maps sure. to tell me where to go because they know when I'm supposed to get off the highway because they know there's a traffic accident ahead because you're ahead of me on the highway and you sent your coordinates, right? I can't guess that on my own. So what's happening with companies like Textio is really analogous to that, which is because you've written something, my writing is getting a little bit better. Uh, I think there's a huge opportunity in the industry for somebody at the infrastructure side to automate the detection of bias in data sets, but I'm not aware of any independent organizations doing a great job with that yet. Interesting. Um, you brought up Amazon. I noticed in your posts from a couple of years ago that their one of their very popular words was wickedly. It's a, it is the case. Is, I just was like, was it wickedly fast or something like that? that I think is? there's a bunch of wickedly. And in wickedly. fact, since we made that post, they have taken wickedly and attached it to the word prime. Wicked, uh, oh. Because, you know, they have the prime offering. So uh -huh. they like really have doubled down on the brand value of Wickedly. Interesting. Yes. But some of these you do ask, like, what is the possible context in which this would 
show up. Why would you be saying maniacal? I mean, I've always heard anything about maniacal support or something like that, right? Yeah, like I'm sure just, it comes yeah. from like maniacal focus on our customers right. or maniacal attention to detail. But when you stop and think about the fact that it's in an enormous proportion of their writing across yeah. thousands of people choosing it in common, it's it's pretty striking, I think. Yeah, Jeff Bezos obviously says maniacal. He uh, might be maniacal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, other people are now going to use Textio to write their resumes. They may. And they're going to be reading job postings where people use Textios to post to Textio to help augment the writing of the thing. What do you think about that? Like, is there some, you know, because on some level, people, you do learn, there's all these really bad things about writing job postings that are not good, but there's good things from the, potentially from the person who's reading them, which is you can learn a lot about the companies from sort of some of the flaws in the job postings. And I would say vice versa, when you're hiring and you're looking at like resumes and cover letters, there is something to discern based on the quality of those things. Well, but um, that problem already exists, for sure. right? Yeah. How many people writing resumes who are not expert writers are paying somebody to help them and with to have it, right? Edit like it if I'm not good and... at, you know, basic grammar and spelling, you know, even if I were writing a resume 30 years ago, I would have been remiss not to get a friend who was or a professional who was to yeah. fix it for me. Right. So I again, I think the humans at the center, I think all the software can do is help you put your best foot forward. But if somebody gets in the door and has a conversation with you, if what you presented wasn't authentic, that relationship isn't going to work out fairly quickly, right? Getting a candidate in the door is what you do before you have an interview conversation. And if you're a jerk during your interview, you're probably not going to hire the person. Or if you're a candidate who shows up and you don't have the experience you said you had on your resume, you're not going to get hired. You know, er early on in Textio, we built a prototype uh, around real estate and home listings. Mm. And one of the things that the software discovered is that if you say you have an in-ground pool or granite countertops, your home sale price is a lot higher. Right. But you can't say you have them if right. you don't have them because right, someone right. will show up to your house and be like, why would I pay this for this house? There's no, I thought there was a pool. I was promised a pool and there's a bathtub. So there is a truth in advertising thing that I think comes out as we continue through the process of, yeah. of working together. Can, um, do you have to be a big company to use Textio? No, we have companies at a large range, right? Uh -huh. From startups all the way through huge, you know, 200,000 person global enterprises. In general, the more you're writing mm. and the more people you have writing, the better it works for you because every time you write, you're creating surface area for Textio to learn. But if you're a small organization, you might get grouped into a cohort with other organizations with needs and profiles a lot like yours. So you get the benefit of being bigger than you are in, in what you learn and, and how you can take advantage. And what about individuals? Do you think, it, will this be a product for, for regular people like in their daily lives? Like, are you doing stuff so people can write their Tinder profile and stuff like that? You know, Tinder profile was requested as recently as last week. I'm sure. Um, the dating yes. profile thing has come up uh, over the five years we've been around uh -huh. constantly. Yeah. We don't offer Textio for individuals today. We may in the future. It's a size and scale thing for us sure. because we're really focused on places where we can have the biggest impact quickly. 
but do, yeah, but the application's think, pretty broad. Yeah, I mean, you think individuals, even giving like their very small data set, I guess ultimately, so what you're saying is they could be grouped with more like the yeah, other like minded exactly. individuals and that kind of thing. Exactly. We we are all uh, part of different you know cohorts and and how we behave and how we write. Yeah. So having all this experience and expertise, having looked at all these different language data sets and working with augmented writing software. I mean, it's like a really super interesting field you're in. And I think a field that like most people are not as knowledgeable as you are not in as much. Do you see like big changes in the way we communicate with each other because of software like this? I think, I don't know if it's because of software like this, but I think the software has the ability to both standardize and also accelerate the destandardization, like mm. in kind of both directions, right? So I don't think we've ever lived at a time in this country for sure in the United States where language has been as uh, central and polarizing, right? Look at what has happened over the last five years with the use of pronouns and Think about how many events you might go to now where you are asked to specify the pronouns that you use, right? Are you using he or are you using she or are you using they? And, you know, 10 years ago, that would not have happened. Right. And th there were non-binary individuals 10 years ago, but that would not have happened. And so there's movement culturally around the use of language. And one of the things we talk about a lot internally is how much to let the data speak for itself because the language patterns that are driving outcomes is the core promise of Textio versus the places we do want to take some editorial point of view on the world that we want to create. The mm. pronoun example being a perfect one or certain obscenities that we don't want to you know, give the check mark to because we know even if it's going to work really, really well for your audience, we don't feel strong at the software level about recommending it. You can still use it, but it's our job to tell you the adverse impact that using it will have, mm -hmm. right? So there are places we have to think about where we want to um, hold an editorial or ethical point of view about the use of language and who gets drawn in the circle and who gets left outside of it versus letting the outcome speak for itself. And I can tell you this is a weekly topic for us, you know, on different language patterns that we observe. Like, well, this one is getting an outcome, but how good do we feel right. about recommending it? Right. That and comes it, up. I mean, it's a big question, right? Because as soon as you decide to have any kind of point of view, then it's like, can you scale your point of view? Right. I mean, it's like That's not exactly only not the only, challenge. Yeah. I mean, not only should you or whatever, what should it be, but like, can you make that decision a hundred thousand times or however many times it's going to be? And can future? you make that decision for all kinds of writing right. for all kinds of writers. And you you mostly can't, which uh -huh. is the benefit of a data-driven platform. Um, and that's usually the side we come down on, which is we're going to let the outcomes speak for itself. But as a fairly progressive group of individuals who come to make Textio, I think our team does a great job of holding us accountable to make the decisions very intentionally. Can you give me some examples of where, you, where you've you've like decided like this is the thing we want to decide here? Well, we're having this discussion right now about pronouns specifically. Okay. And so it's like the question is whether should we introduce the concept as a recommendation of not using these pronouns or, or using broader well, ones or something like yeah, that? Yeah. So when I was growing up, it's, it dates me some. The common way to write using third person was to use he. Right. Right. 
And I remember being corrected in school when I was in elementary school for using he or she, right? right? Fast forward like 10 or 15 years after that, and people would have been corrected the other direction. They would have been corrected from he to he or she or S slash he or, you know, something. Well, today, if you're modern and writing and you're thoughtful, you're probably using they in that situation. But the data, the data doesn't show that they performs particularly better. Mm. He or she performs better than he, but they doesn't perform particularly better. So what do you do? It's not worse necessarily. It's not worse. Right. If it were worse, then really what would you do? Interesting. Right. And so the, these are the cases where, uh, you know, right now this is a raging debate inside our organization about what do we stand for and is it you know, we do have certain socially progressive values as an organization, and we stand for the promise that the data speaks first in like a highly democratized right. way. And there's also something to be said that like you can believe that this is from a progressive point of view better and this is where we want to go, but actually over time the people don't respond. I mean, it might end up being that you were just wrong, right? Like you can be progressive and, Absolutely. and wrong. Right? Absolutely. Like, yeah. um, in the case of this particular one, the fact that Merriam-Webster last week came out with a big thing endorsing they may accelerate the closure sure. of the issue. But the opportunity of technology is that you're not always waiting for the prescriptive decision to get made. You anticipate where the language is going before the dictionary standard organizations or the government organizations have agreed on the standard. Hmm. So that's what you're, when you're just to go back there. So you're saying sort of that, like it moves through standards more quickly and also introduces more questions, I guess. Right. right? Because the way standards get made, especially when you have a forward thinking, like dictionary type organization is they look at the language that people are actually using. Something, get, you know, a word is added to the dictionary when enough people really use it. Before that, it's quote unquote, not a word. Right. Although it might be. Hmm. You and I might use it. It's in our little dialect, but the rest of the people listening might not. And only once you have enough usage and standardization, then something gets added. Well, who drives that standardization? Well, if people are using software to write what they're writing, there's a really good argument to be made that software helps to drive that standardization. So yeah. it's tricky, I think. Interesting. Yeah. How have you approached uh, slang in general? Like, so from everything from like common old school slang to internet slang, like where, where does lol fall? I don't know in, how lol performs Or just where does it fall in the way you see... I guess actually the real question is like, where do you guys fall you in using line? words and not words in your suggestions? Yeah, I mean, so by default, Textio recommends what people use and what works to get a response. So if people use it, it doesn't matter particularly whether some standards organization recognizes that it's real. As I said, the internet has accelerated this quite a bit because it has brought much more informal language into how we communicate even at work. Because the difference between me typing a Slack message to you, my coworker, and a text to my friend, like it's just changing a window, yeah, right, on my laptop. And so I'm still the same person. And so we've seen much, much more informal language coming to the workplace, especially over the last, I'd say, five to 10 years as younger workers who grew up digitally native are entering the workforce, people who grew up with phones and iPads and computers at home from the time they were children. 
Yeah, and do you is platform a consideration in the augment in the recommendations of the software? Um, platform is really significant yeah. because the way that I write to you in a certain medium is somewhat shaped by the constraints of the medium. So if I'm writing to you in a medium that supports emoji versus one that doesn't, I'm far more likely to use emoji. Right. So as an example. Textio finds that emoji are significant in the context of email, but not so significant in the context of job posts, because historically, the places people are writing job posts haven't accommodated emoji. So it's even if they do right now, it's a non-factor. It hasn't right. shown up often enough to be interesting. Whereas an email, emoji are super common and can change the response you get even in a work setting. So interesting. Yeah. Such a great field. Karen Snyder, thank you so much for joining us on the Webby Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Kieran for stopping by the studio. Textio is a great resource if you want to bring diversity and clarity to your company. So check out their Webby winning work at textio.com. If you like the Webby Podcast and want to support it, take a couple of seconds and give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you really like it and want to go to the extra mile, leave us a review. For more information about the Webby Awards, visit webbyawards.com, that's webbyawards.com, or on social platforms at The Webby Awards. As always, you can reach me on social at dmdlikes. Our producer is Terrence Brosnan. Our editorial lead is Jordana Jarrett. Music is Poddington Bear. Claire Graves is an express train that skips all the stops except the one you're getting off at. I'm your host, David Michelle Davies, and this is The Webby Podcast. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.